Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. Ephesians chapter 6. What would our world look like if every Christian were living according to God's desire? Would all Christians be in some sort of full-time ministry, you know, serving in a local church or a Christian school or on the mission field? Sadly, I have heard some well-meaning Christians effectively say that. That a person who is not in some sort of full-time ministry is not as spiritual as those who are. And this sort of mindset that I've just described actually does injustice to a passage like this that shows that God is actually honored in how we conduct ourselves in secular workplaces. Now, he is talking here, Paul is talking about more than secular workplaces, but I would suggest that godly people are actually needed in our workplace. Because godly people are the ones who are going to help advance the name of Christ in those workplaces. They're going to develop relationships in that workplace. They're going to show the glory of God through their proper acts of of service. And so I think that mindset that that sometimes has been ingrained into us through what I would suggest is a misinformed sort of teaching that that people have to be in ministry in order to be really at the pinnacle of serving God is false. Rather, we can be serving God in the mundane, even secular uh, workplace that we have. We, we work at the same job every day, sometimes year after year, and, and sometimes we feel like nothing is, has changed. But what God wants us to see, I believe, this morning, is that we need to increase our view of what God is doing through our individual work at our jobs. And the way that we do that is to get our eyes off of ourselves, off of our circumstances, and onto eternal things and recognize that our secular work that we're doing, or even if it's not secular, it could be any other type of work, but our work that we're doing ought to have an eternal perspective. We ought to be thinking about how this serves Christ. And that will affect the way that we work. What you're going to find in this passage that we're going to read is that there's nothing in here about the rights of these slaves or I'm going to suggest also employees. All the focus is on the responsibility of the workers. When we start to see the great calling that we have as workers, then we we grumble much less. We complain much less and hopefully at some point not at all. We're not as concerned with how we're treated. Rather, we're concerned with our advancing the mission of our Master, God, Christ, and advancing the mission, or, or I should say through advancing the mission of our Master, our, our, our boss, and His company. And so as we, ad, we raise up the view of what our responsibilities are, whether we are in a an actual job that pays us money, or whether we're at home doing whatever type of work we do. We need to raise our view of it, and I think this passage helps us to do that. Let me read it for us. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 5. This is the Word of God. Slaves, be obedient 
to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both, both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with Him. Serving Christ means obeying your earthly master. And for those of you who are masters in that sense, you have people working for you, serving Christ means showing grace to your workers. Okay, so let's look at the first part of it, verses 5-8, through eight, that, that serving Christ means obeying our earthly master. The main thing we need to understand is that our boss, your boss, is not your ultimate master. Your boss is not your ultimate master, verses 5 through 8. Now, before we get into how we're supposed to work, how we're supposed to be motivated to work, let me begin by talking about the relationship between slaves and masters in the New Testament. Because we might want to immediately dismiss this passage saying, well, we're not slaves. And we don't own any slaves, so this passage doesn't apply to us. But what we need to understand is that in the New Testament, slaves were not referring to a specific race of people like we might think of them in our nation's history. But rather, they would include both Jews and Gentiles. They would include people of all different races could be be, um, used as slaves. And so this passage is not an endorsement on slavery, no more than a passage on divorce is an endorsement of adultery. This is simply an explanation of how life situations were handled in, the, in those days. So, the point is, is Paul's saying, whatever position you find yourself in with regard to a work relationship, I'm not suggesting that this relationship is, is good and best. That's not what Paul's saying. But rather, whatever you find yourself, whether you're the master or the slave, then these, this is how you're supposed to act. And what we need to understand about these slaves is that these slaves are not a race of people, but rather more like indentured servants. People who would have a huge debt for some reason and would be unable to pay it off. And so they would either be thrown into debtor's prison or they would be given to, we would call it slavery, but really indentured service to a master. And so this indentured servant would work for a master and he would, through his work, pay off the debt so that over an agreed-upon amount of time, the debt would be paid off. That's what these relationships are here in verses 5 through 9. And I believe that, that God allowed providentially for these slaves, these indentured servants, to be a regular part of New Testament society so that it would heighten our understanding of our responsibility to our boss who doesn't have the same sort of relationship with us. I mean, it's, it's much less severe, right? The logic goes like this. If slaves in the New Testament times were expected to serve Christ by serving their masters in this way, then certainly we can serve 
our boss in this way. You see how it's from greater to lesser? If they can do it, and if God is calling them to serve their masters in this difficult sort of relationship, then certainly we as employees to our boss can do the same thing. In other words, if anyone has an excuse for disobeying their master, it's a slave. It's an indentured servant. And if God doesn't allow them to use that as an excuse, you know, their relationship with their master, then far be it from us to compare ourselves to them and say, well, we have it much worse than them. Because we don't. And so when we recognize that, it helps us to see more clearly that, you know, we actually have a better situation than what these slaves had in the New Testament. So, your boss is not your ultimate master. Instead, what we're going to see is that we are serving Christ in our work. Whatever type of work that God has called you to do, whether it be in the secular world or whether it be you know, in a full-time vocational ministry type of position or whether it be in the home, whatever it is, Christ is your ultimate master. Let me show you that in the text. Look at verse, um, verse 6. Not by way of eye service as men's and as men-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. So here's what he wants them to do. Don't think of yourself as a slave of, you know, then list his master's name. Don't think of that. Instead, think of yourself as a slave of Christ. The same thing is true for us. And then the next part of the verse, verse 6, doing the will of God. And then verse 7, with good will render service as to the Lord. So whatever you're doing in your workplace... Do it as to the Lord because Christ is your ultimate master. Your ultimate allegiance is not to your boss. It's to your master. So, serve your boss as you would serve Christ. You may feel the temptation of drudgery or frustration and disappointment because of perhaps poor leadership from your boss. But Christ is teaching you to rise above your circumstances and recognize that how you work matters to Him. That Christ is watching how you work. And so that means that we as Christians need to work with as much effort and energy and enthusiasm as we would if Christ were our direct boss. Have you ever imagined that before? What would it be like for Christ to be my direct boss? Would I do things differently than I do them now? Would I grumble less than I do now? And this is what Paul is calling us to do. Recognize that your ultimate allegiance is not to your boss, who you can see, but it is to Christ, whom you cannot see. Notice verse 6 at the end. Doing the will of God. God's desire for you is to serve your boss, and in doing so, you're actually doing the will of God. God has placed you in your current position of employment for His good purposes. He's not doing it to punish you, but rather it's a part of His good pleasure. And you can serve your boss, and when you do, you serve Christ. You serve God according to how He desires. Christians, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Because the world wants us to think of work as a bad thing, as an oppressive sort of thing, right? And so, 
time at work is just marked by grumbling and complaining. We're always looking forward to the end. You know, when is it going to be weekend? When is it going to be vacation time? When is it going to be retirement? And sometimes we view retirement like a little slice of heaven. But can I just say that God never called Christians to retire from work on this earth? Now, understand what I'm saying here. Okay? I'm not saying it's wrong to retire from your job. That's going to happen. But you should never retire from work. There always is something that God is calling you to do. So if you've been freed up from some sort of work responsibility in the secular world, then that should open you up to do more acts of service in other ways. Either in your home or in the church. But the, the, the Scriptures have never called us to a life of laziness and relative ease where we're just kind of just vegging it for the rest of our lives. Scriptures never call us to that. But God is always working. Our world wants us to think that you know, we got to get to this utopian part of life. So we work as hard as we can like rats in a maze and, and we get to this point where we've gotten this retirement chunk of money that we can get to so that we can just relax and do nothing. But God's called us not to do that, but rather to continue to work. We can retire from our job, but we should never retire from work. God has not called us to live like the world. He's not called us to complain about our job, to be sour pusses because of you know where we're at in in our job situation. But but rather to enthusiastically serve our boss because we want to do what benefits him. And we know that when we are serving our boss, we're actually doing the will of God. We do it with goodwill from the heart. That's what the end of verse six tells us. And so I would suggest to you, if you grumpily do your job, you're not doing your job in service to Christ. If I go around complaining about all the frustrations of of my responsibilities, then I'm not serving Christ as I ought to. So we're trying to see God's view of our job, our work that we're doing for Him, and when we do, it should, we should see our jobs not as meaningless or worthless, but actually doing something in service for Christ. So how do we do this? How do we work in such a way to make our jobs meaningful for the service of Christ? What is it like to serve Christ at our job? And I would give to you five ways in which you can serve your boss okay, whenever field of work you are in five ways that you can serve your boss from this passage. Because when you're serving your boss, you're serving Christ. Number one, serve your boss even when he is not looking. Serve your boss even when he is not looking. Look at verse 6 with me. Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. Not by way of eye service. You know what I'm talking about here? You know what Paul's talking about here? Have you ever worked with someone who's a big goofball when the the boss was away, but when the boss was around, he was just nose to the grindstone? You know, or or, or someone from from your company who was was a, a terrible worker when upper management 
was not around. But when any sort of management person was there, they, they were the most diligent of workers. And you just saw the really, you know, the two-facedness of those people. And sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves, we could do the same things. We don't work as hard as we should at times. But here's what Christ expects of us. Whenever you're being paid to work, then work. Okay? It doesn't matter if your boss is looking at you or not. Work hard when he's away and work hard when he's looking over your shoulder. There shouldn't be a difference there. You know, in gym class, uh, Kent Hughes points out the, the illustration of you, you understand how this works in gym class. When I remember when I was um, in gym class or basketball camp or something like that, we'd have to do these leg lifts. And you'd have to lay down on your back and lift your, your feet up six inches off the ground and hold them there. And it was painful. It was torturous. And everybody had their legs lifted up to the proper height when the gym teacher or the basketball coach was looking. But then when he turned around, drop them real quick and quietly, and then we lift them back up when he turns back around because we need a little bit of a break. And, and that's the way it can be at our jobs. And you know, we, we, we're supposed to be holding up our, our responsibilities, but it, it's actually difficult in some cases, torturous to us because we're just so spent. But our responsibility is to continue to hold up our responsibilities even when our boss is not looking because here's the point. Look at verse 6 again. But as slaves of Christ, who is always looking at us? Hey, Christ is always watching you. Your boss is not your ultimate master. Your boss is not your ultimate master, so work hard even when your earthly master is not looking at you because your heavenly master is always looking. Okay, so that illustration of the leg lift thing, we ought to always be holding it up because our ultimate master is watching. The key is to work hard even when he's not looking. And sometimes that requires more effort and it requires more conscience Conscious focus, doesn't it? Because we just, by nature, we watch people around us. They kind of just um, begin to, to slough off a little bit. So serve your boss even when he's not looking because your ultimate master is Christ and he's always looking. Number two, serve your boss diligently. Look at the beginning of verse 5. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. Be obedient. Now, there's not a whole lot I need to explain here. Do what your master tells you to do. If he tells you to do something, then do it. That's your responsibility. Remember who you are. You are His servant and ultimately Christ, but but your primary responsibility is to submit to His authority. Remember, this section of Scripture, verses 5-9, through actually comes as an illustration of verse 21 of chapter 5. Would you look back up there with me? Chapter 5, verse 21. One of the ways that we as Christians are marked by being filled with the Spirit is that we sing, we give thanks to God in everything. And then here's the third way. We're subject to those who are in authority over us. Verse 21. And that plays out within the home, wives to husbands. That also plays out in the home with children to parents. And here's the third way it plays out in verses 5-9 through nine of chapter 6. 
with servants to masters, employees to employers. We have a responsibility to submit. You remember what it means to submit? When we agree with our boss, that's okay. We, we should do that. When he tells us to do something, we agree with him, we ought to do it. But that's technically not submitting. Sub- to submit is to give up the contrary, our, our contrary view to the will of our boss. That's submitting. So when we disagree with him, that's when it, uh, the test of our faith, the evidence of our faith really comes into play. You know, because we all would like to be in some sense our own boss, or we kind of make, we, we call the shots, and we would, but, but quite honestly, if we were to be in that position, we probably wouldn't handle it very well, especially if we were never a good employee. Good, bad employees generally don't make good bosses, do they? It, it doesn't, there's not a, a switch that's just flipped, is there? If you're not a person who's willing to submit yourself to the authority of your boss, you're probably not going to be a good boss when you're in that situation. Whatever the case, our responsibility is to be, to be obedient to our masters. So serve your boss diligently. Serve your boss even when he's not looking. Serve your boss diligently. Number three, serve your boss reverently. Serve your boss reverently. Look at the end of verse 5. With fear and trembling. This is not the idea of a slavish terror or some uh, being scared of Him or something, but rather it's similar to the way that we ought to fear God. It is with a reverent awe and respect because of His position of authority over us. Do you realize that your boss was ordained by God to be in charge of you? To, to, to watch over you and to provide for you? This is God ordaining your boss for the sake of your good. It's very easy for us to be irreverent to our boss. And when I say irreverent, I mean disrespectful. Not treat him as a god or anything like that. But, but our disrespect for our boss may look like grumbling or murmuring under our, our breath when they walk away or backbiting or rudeness. You know, when we're around other employees talking about our boss in a bad way. But that kind of behavior should not be named among Christians. When we recognize that God has ordained Him to be over us, we reverently submit to our boss because we recognize that He's not our ultimate master. Okay, So when you find yourself in that position to be frustrated and, and, and opposing Him in many ways, recognize that He's not your ultimate Master, but you have a responsibility to still submit to Him. Serve your boss even when He's not looking. Serve your boss diligently. Serve your boss reverently. And then number four, serve your boss genuinely. Serve your boss genuinely. Notice the next phrase there in verse 5. In the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Verse 6 says, from the heart at the very end of the verse. So, in the sincerity of your heart, from the heart. So, working at your job requires more than just proper action. For example, you could go in on one given day and do all of your responsibilities and do an adequate job at them. You know, as far as numbers and bottom line, you are doing a good job. But you could also do that in such a way 
that you're despising your boss and you're not serving Christ. Okay, so we recognize that our heart actually has to be in our jobs. We could we could do all the actions without our hearts. And we are much like Israel who honors God with their lips while their hearts are far from Him. What God wants is both our actions and our heart to be in line. So we could do that same level of productivity that I was just talking about and do it with a proper heart attitude, a respect for our boss, and so on. A heart that desires to honor Christ. It's totally different, isn't it? You see, because our ultimate boss, our ultimate master is looking at us and he sees more than just what our boss sees, doesn't he? Our boss might just see the action, can't really see what's in our heart. But Christ is looking over and He's watching both our actions and our heart. And so it requires us more than just to serve Him diligently, but we also have to serve Him genuinely from our heart. And you might think, well, I don't understand. How could two actions... How could... If you compare those two things, they're exactly the same. How could two actions be the same and yet one be acceptable and one not? Well, I could give you several examples from the Scripture, but let me just remind you of the widow's might versus the Pharisee's giving. Right? You have two actions happening. In fact, one is a lesser action. The widow's might, only two, two small coins. The Pharisees give a lot more money, and so you have two actions, and if we put them on a scale just from looking at them, without looking at the heart, we would say, Pharisees win. They're serving Christ better. And so we could look at you know, a job situation and say, well, look at all this level of productivity. And yet, if there's not a heart behind it, Christ is not pleased. Okay? He's looking for our hearts to be behind it like the widow's heart was behind her giving. And so it requires us to not just do the action, you know, punch in, punch out, get this thing over with, but actually to do it with a love for our Master, our, our Savior. And that should show forth in our respect and our genuineness in our, our work. You see, Christ sees much more than your boss will ever see. And He wants you to serve Him from your So serve your boss uprightly and genuinely. And when you do, you're serving Christ uprightly and genuinely. Number five, serve your your boss faithfully. Verse eight, serve your boss faithfully. Knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. Okay, Paul is talking in such a way that they already know this. You already know this. You know that, that, that Christ is going to reward good service. So, even if your boss doesn't acknowledge you, even if your boss doesn't reward you publicly like you think you deserve, don't ever forget that as a Christian, when you serve your boss as you're serving Christ, Christ won't forget that there will be there will come a day called the judgment seat of Christ when Christ will reward you for the way that you served your boss at work. That's what the text says. You will receive back from the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says, if we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ 
so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. It's at that time, the judgment seat of Christ, when Christians will be put on, uh, put on trial in a sense and be rewarded for what they have done. And Christ is going to reward us on that day for how we work. So the way that you work at your job directly corresponds to the rewards that you're going to receive at the judgment seat of Christ. Now let me be clear here. It does not affect whether or not you'll make it into heaven. No work that you would do or that I do affects whether or not we'll make it into heaven. That's all on the basis of what we just sang. There is no other argument. There is no other plea. It's enough that Jesus died for me. That's all that God demands for us to make it into heaven. Not our works. Okay, It's all on the basis of Christ and His substitutionary atonement. But what I am saying is that your rewards are directly connected to how you live. Your rewards in heaven are directly connected to how you work. So, Think with that eternal perspective. It's so easy to go into our job day after day and just think so short-sightedly. And what Christ is helping us to do here is to get our eyes off that onto eternal things. Recognize that how you work today is going to affect how you're going to be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. Serve your boss faithfully. Notice that last phrase there because I think this connects the servant's responsibility with the master's, whether slave or free. So, you're all going to be rewarded, whether you're a master or you're a servant, you're all going to be rewarded based on how you serve Christ on this earth. And almost all of us find ourselves in this position that we've just looked at, verses 5-8, through where we are an employee at a place of employment, but some of us here are in a position where we're actually doing the employee. We have people working for us. And in that case, Paul's exhortation really is a continuation of what he's just been saying. You will be judged based on how you serve and how you lead. Okay, Because technically, when you're a master, you're actually, you ought to be serving those who are working for you. So recognize your place under the authority of Christ. Okay, So we saw that... Your boss is not your ultimate master. In verse 9, we're going to see that you are not the ultimate master. Okay? If you're in a position of authority at your job where you have people working for you, you need to recognize, and I need to recognize, that we are not the ultimate master. And So here's a couple observations from verse 9. First, treat your employees respectfully. Notice the first line there, verse 9. Masters do the same things to them. Well, what kind of same things? Be obedient, verse 5? Is that what the masters are supposed to do? Well, we understand, no, that's not what they're supposed to do. But rather, when the employees are being told to respect and honor their master because they're actually serving Christ, masters ought to do the same thing to their employees. Respect and honor their employees. Because the temptation for bosses is to be a tyrant or to be abusive of their leadership. But Christ is not lead in this way, does He? Christ doesn't lead in an abusive, um, uh, tyrannical way, does He? No, He leads with love and service. I mean, think about His time on the earth. 
He was it with a with a big whip and a sword that he's just chopping people down every time they disobey? No. He's getting down on his knees and serving them. Washing their feet. And so you must lead as you're serving Christ with the sincerity of your heart. Treat your employees respectfully. Number two, treat them genuinely. Notice the next phrase, and give up threatening. You know, as a boss, you may have every right to treat your employees in a certain way because, you know, you're asking them to do... You're the one giving them their paycheck, so to speak. And, but, but just because you're doing something to them, just because you're treating them in such a way that may even not be against the law, God's saying it's not acceptable before me. I don't approve. Perhaps a ma- master might use threats as a, ta- a, a tactic to elicit better work. You know, if you don't work harder, I will release you into society where you will never get a job because you're a, a lazy bum, you know, whatever the case. That's not how spirit-filled bosses ought to lead. Spirit-filled bosses are ones who use their authority with justice and with grace. They recognize that, that their position of authority is actually a position of service because the greatest leaders are the greatest what? They're the greatest servants. They're, they're willing, like Christ, to, to do whatever it takes to serve the other person. And so being disrespectful and dishonoring to employees, doing it from a heart that's corrupt and hateful is actually not helpful. It's not pleasing to God. Why would their why would masters ever treat their servants with honor and respect? Why would they do that? I think the text gives us a clue here at the end. Knowing that, okay, so masters keep this in mind, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there's no partiality with them. Okay, if you have people under you that are under your responsibility, recognize that their ultimate master is not you. Their ultimate master is Christ, and your ultimate master is Christ. So, what that does is it helps even out the playing field, doesn't it? It puts us on an equal playing field before God. We both have the same master. Yes, we have different functions, just like with the husband and the wife and the parents and the children. There's different functions, but we're all in the same playing field before God because we all serve the same God, right? And so, as masters, we need to... Treat them with honor and respect because we ultimately recognize that they're not a commodity. We can just discard whenever we want, you know, or, or treat them with, with, uh, with abuse or whatever. But rather, we recognize that that person who's working for me is in many ways no different from me because we serve the same Christ. We both are Christ's servants. And if we think about the example, notice the example at the end of the verse, and there is no partiality with Him. With God, He doesn't judge us on the basis of our works. There's no partiality with God. He doesn't take favorites. And so, as leaders, we need to recognize that that God is the ultimate judge. We are not, as masters. We are not the ultimate judge. And so, masters, in summary... Recognize your position under the authority of Christ. Christ is the Master, and Christ will act as your judge. Christ is the Master. So the main point of this passage is 
We work for Christ. Whether master or servant, we work for Christ. We do it as to Christ. We're slaves of Christ, as to the Lord, so that we can receive back from the, the Lord. Excuse me. So what about you? Is it difficult to work for your boss? Is it a drudgery at times to go into work and work for someone who's not a Christian perhaps? Then you need to start thinking of serving your boss like you would if Christ were your boss. Are you lazy at your job? Then you need to think about serving your boss like you serve Christ. Okay, so... Serve your employee like you would if Christ were your supervisor. And if, as if Christ were always looking over your shoulder. And by the way, He is. You say, but my, my boss is far from Christ. You see, if I had Christ for my boss, and I could be a better worker. I could serve God better. You know who that sounds a lot like? It sounds like Adam in Genesis chapter 3. When God said, Adam, what are you doing? Adam said, not my fault. It was the wife, there's one passing of blame, that you gave me. There's this ultimate passing of blame. See, God, if you would have given me a better wife, then I could have led her better. This is what we say when we use that excuse that my boss is not serving God. And so... If I had a better boss, I could serve better. But ultimately, we're just passing the blame. We're, we're making an excuse for our laziness or our poor work ethic, our grumbling. We've, we've committed the basic sin of blame shifting, not taking responsibility for our own actions. And ultimately, we are trying to, in, in some cases, exalt our place to a position of deity. You know, God, I could be a better God than you. If, 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 if I were God, I would put a better boss over me. But apparently you didn't know what you're doing there. Now, we would never say that, but that's in, a, in essence how we act, isn't it? That I'm such a good worker that if I'm put in just the right circumstances, then I can be the best worker around. But what God wants us to see is that if we can't submit to our employer whom we can see, how can we submit to God whom we cannot see? See, the problem is not with our boss. I don't know what kind of boss you have, but it's not with your boss. The problem is with your heart. The problem is with my heart. We, We don't like authority structure in many cases. We want to be that authority, and so we pass the blame onto someone else who's an easy target. And so very practically, if you struggle with submitting to your boss, I would just encourage you to memorize Ephesians 6, 5-8. through 8. Very practically laid out how we ought to think about our work relationship with Him. Memorize those verses and allow the Spirit of God to use those in times when you're tempted to complain or to give up or to slack off or to grumble against His leadership. And that's how God changes us, isn't it? Through the power of His Word. And we need to fill our minds with His Word. Our work for Christ and this life, both how we act and how we think, is an expression of serving our, ma- our Master. Do you remember the servant in Matthew 25 who had one talent? Remember what he did with it? 
He buried it in the ground. And when Christ came back, He said, I knew you were an exacting master and I, I knew that you, you uh, reckoned judgment upon those who, who, who squandered the, the money that was given to them. And so I just buried it. And, and the master says, you know, you've been better off just putting it in the bank and earning me some interest. You've been entrusted with a responsibility and you didn't do anything with it. And he might think, well, I actually protected it from, from getting squandered all the way. But, but what I'm telling you is that in your job, in my job, wherever we work, we have been entrusted with a responsibility. How will you use it? How will you use that resource to accomplish service for Christ? Maybe you work at a machine shop or you deliver packages. Whatever your job is, you ought to be making those parts or delivering those packages as you would if you were delivering to Christ or making the part for Christ. If you work at home, how much more effort would you put into your cleaning and your baking if you knew that Christ were coming for dinner? I'm not calling for perfection, but I'm calling for a heart that loves Christ and wants to do this, wants to serve Christ. What would your clothes washing look like? Okay, I'm just trying to be very practical that every area of life in which we have a responsibility, we can do it like we're serving Christ. If you're in school, what would it look like if you were turning that assignment into Christ Himself? And He were going to grade it. How much harder would we work on those things? Don't you see that, that this passage helps touch all areas of our lives? And so we, as Christians, of all people, ought to raise our view get our eyes off of ourselves and the frustrations that we have and our circumstances and get it on eternal things. We're serving Christ and He's the one who's going to be the one who judges us on the last day based on how we did with that responsibility. Whether good or evil, whether slave or free. Let's pray. Father, we pray that You would Convict us where we need to be convicted and encourage us where we need to be encouraged. I, I certainly showed some of the, the, the um, inclinations of my heart in what I have talked about and, and um, perhaps um, focused a little more on, on, on the negative side, but, but there are also some people in here who have been serving you through their jobs faithfully and who love to do their work. And, and Lord, I pray that you just encourage them today to continue to do what is right and recognize that this is ultimately for you. But I pray that the, the mothers in this place who have a responsibility in their homes, the, the, the workers, people who have a responsibility under their boss, the, wherever we are in life, students, I pray that you would just raise our view of our responsibility. Help us to be good stewards of this resource that you've given to us. You've given us the ability to work for your good. Sometimes you know, Lord, that that's hard to see, especially when we're working in a secular place. And so I ask for grace. Help us to be able to overcome the obstacles that that we have at our workplace and sometimes in our home and and just to... to, um, to have a, a real view of, of your watching over us and of your promise to, to reward us for when we have served you well. 
We want, to, we want to display Your glory in our lives. We want to see Your grace pour out through us. And so we pray that You would change the way that we work and refine us to be more, um, more faithful and to be better, genuine servants, both in our action and in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.